Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95. With Tesco, where you won't pay more for the products that matter most to you. Tesco, every little helps. We have Christmas to come, of course, and it is a time to spend with those we love the most, if we're lucky enough to do that. But unfortunately for some, and maybe many of you listening, uh, the ones they love the most are no longer with them in this world. And while the festive season can be joyous, it can also bring loneliness to those dealing with uh, grief. And recently elected councillor Sarah Kiley knows the pain of losing someone close to you. Her husband lost his battle against cancer and um, Sarah has been really open um, on social media and in talking to people generally about her experiences with grief and we're conscious that it might be helpful to many of you listening uh, this Christmas. So uh, Sarah's agreed to come in and chat to us in that context and you're welcome, Sarah. Thank you very much. Um, Thanks, Joe. So this is as far from the day-to-day politics of your new existence as I think we could uh, we could get. Well, it is and it isn't because I think like um, like grief and death, politics is part of everyone's life whether they like it or not. So... Um, when your researcher rang me yesterday, I was I was surprised um, because I don't think we talk enough about grief and death and loss and what your wishes would be in the event that you would um, receive a terminal illness. So tell me about how you first met your husband, Damien. Okay, I was uh, just out of school. I was 18, Went uh, decided to train as a chef. And um, as someone said to me recently, why did you want to... Sh- train as a chef and I said well my mother wasn't a great cook so that was number one the second was I tried to get into the guards and I was too small and as James Collins said to me recently they'd probably take you now (laughs) it's a reasonable point yeah so um I decided I was going to train as a chef so I remember the first day going into the classroom and spotting this fella down the back obviously he was sitting at the back and I was sitting at the front because he was a bit mischievous even then and um, he would have been a mature student so that's when I first met Damien mm-hmm. um, And how did it evolve? Um, after about after about uh, two or three weeks we started going out together and after three months we moved in together and um, after two years we'd Emily after Another four years after that, we tearing in. We got married in 2011. Wow. So we were engaged for 13 years before we got married. And um, I had the most wonderful life, honest to God, with Damien. He was, we grew up together. There was six years between us and he was just, we had such fun. We just such fun and we loved Limerick. We never wanted to leave Limerick. Um, and everything, you know, it just... I, I'm very grateful for, and I couldn't say that for a long time, I'm very grateful for the 21 years we did have together. So, Sarah, you met young, and you know, people listening have different stories of yeah. romance and meeting their partners at different stages of life, and sometimes they you know, maybe second partners or, or, or whatever. Yeah. But, but in your case, it, it was from a very young age the two of you connected yeah. and were together. Yeah, straight away. And... Um, Everyone thought it was a bit quick. Everything was a bit quick. But I think when you know, you know. And I definitely knew, and I know Damien did as well. And what was it about Damien that you knew, as you put it, Sarah? We just clicked. It was like um, nothing else mattered. No one else mattered. We were very considerate towards each other. We spoke about everything. Anything that needed to be... And I think that's very important. Communication in any relationship is very important. And trust is very important. What sort of fellow was he? 
He was a bit of a messer, to be honest, and he had sometimes a bit of a dark sense of humour. And that would get him into trouble at times. Because <laughs> we could be somewhere and someone might say something and I'd get a look and I'd say, <laughs> don't look at me cross like that. Because I'd know straight away, oh no, one of us is going to get into trouble for something we're going to say at this stage. So in some ways we were very alike. In other ways, he was very wise for his age. He always, he would diffuse a situation because I'm quite temperamental. Everyone knows that. Um, and he was very, he always encouraged me. Um to go the extra mile, anything I wanted, anything the children wanted, there was no problem. Okay, how, very practical. How can we achieve this? How, um, the same as uh, if there was a problem or if something bad was happening, he would always say, right, let's slow this down. How can we deal with this? And you've touched on it to an extent, but if I were to ask him mm. what you were like, what would his perspective be, do you feel? Um... Oh, okay. Uh, well, we used to, we had favourite words. So um, Damien would always say, what's your favourite word? So he'd, that, that was a funny question he'd ask. Like he'd ask the kids, what's your favourite word? Do you have a favourite word? Um, bespoke is what he used to say about me. <laughs> and that became my favourite word. <laughs> That's a very interesting word. Yeah. It, it, there's no, like... That's really, really yeah. fascinating. So he was no, he was very considerate. Now I have to say, and oh, honest to God, he just—I'm just lost, Joe, lost without him. I know. Yeah, we're chatting to Councillor Sarah Kylie about grief, and she's been very good to come in and chat to us about this because you know it's something I think that will resonate with uh, a lot of you listening this morning. Now, before we get to his illness, yeah, you're not with someone for that long without challenges as well as oh, joys absolutely. along the road, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, we have had lots of ups and downs. We nearly lost our home at one stage. We were in financial difficulty. Damien was made redundant in um, during the recession. There was no way he'd go down and sign on. I was working part-time. He said, no, I don't want to do it. I said, Damien, how are we, we going to manage here? He said, Sarah, no, I'll find something, I'll get a job, I'll go out and I'll do bits and pieces, and that's what he done. He went out and he bought a van, he was doing maintenance, and he was a chef. So this was very far away from his skill set, as we thought, but that's not the case, because he was very talented DIY-wise. Everything in the house, Jamie could fix it. Why do you think he resisted the idea of going on the dole? Because the truth is, it's there for people who are in trouble, you know, and and may have worked their whole lives and found themselves in a tough spell. So there's no shame in it. But why for him did he feel? He just thought that um, it was was a very difficult conversation. And he just said, no, we're, we're, we're not. We're okay. We'll do fine. I will. He was very resilient. He'd get up and he'd... Just do what has to be done. And I think that's a very good trait to have. And thankfully, our children have that trait as well, that you just dust yourself off and get up and do it. And he just thought, no, I, I prefer now if I just would get stuck in. And he was very driven, so he wanted to find a job. And um, it was very difficult to find a job. But eventually he did. But he kept himself occupied while he wasn't working. Um, and and did did eventually get a job again. What about parenting the kids together and the sort of dad that Damien was? He was a very fun dad. He was very funny. Now I have to say, he was firstly he was their dad, and secondly he was their friend. 
because Damien was a very friendly fella now, I have to say. And he had a different relationship with each of them. But he was still we he still held the boundaries. So they knew there was a line and it couldn't be crossed, which is it's it's a good way to be, but he was also very humorous and very caring, very loving, always very supportive and always wanted the always said to me and um to the children that he wanted them to achieve and reach their potential. Not for any other reason but for themselves. And I think that's very important for all of us to know that um, whatever it is you want to do, no matter how big or how small, whatever you can do on that day in those circumstances, that's fine. That's as long as you, as long as you say, right, I did my best today. Talk to me about um, Damien getting sick and then yeah. discovering the seriousness of the illness. Um, we first, uh, it was uh, probably October two thousand and eighteen. T- sorry, two thousand and seventeen. So he started to feel a bit unwell. And he said, mm, I'm not feeling the best. And he was after putting a new roof on the shed. And I said, maybe you pulled a muscle. So there was no real symptom of his cancer. So the cancer he had was called cholangiocarcinoma. And he just became unwell, not really badly unwell. He said he felt a stitch in his side. So we thought it was because he pulled a muscle while doing the roof. So he said, geez, that's not going away at all. I must go to the doctor. So the, he went to the doctor and the doctor said... He said, it's probably a pulled muscle. So after two weeks, it wasn't going away. He went back again. He said, look, Jamie, and I don't know what it is. We'll send you for a scan. So he had an ultrasound and we knew. He was in there for ages. Now, normally, time is money when you're going for an ultrasound. You're in and out in a few minutes. He was in there about half an hour. Um, and we had a holiday booked. We hadn't been away in about seven years before that. And we had a holiday booked to Iceland. Um, something both of us always wanted to do. So we went on our holiday but that was kind of hanging over us. But on that holiday... Because you didn't know the result at that stage? Yeah. We knew there was... At that stage, they said, well, there's something on your liver. We're not quite sure what it is. And it transpired. It was a eight and a half centimetre tumour. So they said, go on your holiday. When you come back, we will investigate it further. But whatever it is, we'll have to come out. So I think at that stage, they were preparing us. So we went on our holiday, we had a great time, but it was hanging over us and we did um, see the Northern Lights and we did some spectacular things and I'm very grateful to have those memories of that holiday. Mm. Um, when we came back, the ball got rolling then. Um, he, we, investigations began. So we went to the hospital here in Limerick and they said, right, we don't know what we're dealing with, we need to refer you to Dublin. So we referred to St. Vincent's in Dublin. Uh, the 27th of December... We uh, travelled, uh, actually since Stephen's Day, we travelled to, in 2017, we travelled to St. Vincent's for a biopsy. So Damien had a biopsy then and uh, he was left home after three days. And then we came home, we kind of did what we, our anniversary was New Year's Day. Um, that's when we got married. And then on the 3rd of January, we had to go back to St. Vincent's to meet the consultant. And he said, um, I'm sorry, Sally, Damien, you have cancer. Okay, we're going to take a short break. We're chatting to Councillor Sarah Kiley, but as you can see, not necessarily with her political hat um, on this morning, uh, talking about grief and coping with it and um, the loss uh, of uh, her beloved Damien. So tell us then about his journey through cancer and for him, for you, for the kids, the family in general. Well, we found out on the 3rd of January 2018 that Damien um, had... uh, 
liver cancer, it's bile duct cancer. And um, I remember that day he said some really poignant things. He, he said across from the doctor, from Mr. Stafford, and as did I, and we were just devastated, obviously, to get that kind of news. And anyone that gets that kind of news, it's the most traumatic traumatic thing you can really hear. But um, he, he, I remember he used to say things to me at one stage years ago. He said, I can, I can, he said it to me a good few years ago. He said, I can never see myself getting old. I can never see myself with grey hair. And I said, but you're giving me enough grey hair anyway. So I said, don't worry about that. So <laughs> that was, you know, we kind of had that kind of banter, but... The day he found out that he had cancer, he said that to Mr. Stafford. And I could see that that visibly, you know, that man was moved by what he said. And he just stood up and he said, would you mind if I wash my hands? And Mr. Stafford said, yeah, work away. So he washed his hands and he sat back down. He said, so, what's the plan? And that's how practical Damien was. He was so strong and so practical and so resilient. He said, right, what's the plan? So we were given the plan. The plan is this... uh, we can't treat it. So this is what we were told. We can't treat it. So we went through the treatment plan. He first had chemo and we were told that if, if he can get through chemotherapy, we can get through to surgery. So he got through surgery. He spent spent an awful lot of time in hospital. Um, he actually spent 10 weeks initially in hospital after his surgery. It was supposed to be two weeks. Was that here or? No, it was in Dublin. So I'd spend five days a week, week in a and b in Dublin and then I'd come down at weekends to the kids. Very hard. Uh, yeah, but um, I'm delighted I did that. Delighted is probably not the right word, but anyway, lots of not appropriate words in death, but should we still use them? Um, and he, I, I had to be there with him. So I'd go in at eight o'clock in the morning and I'd stay until he went to sleep at night and I'm so glad I did. It's not, that not everyone can do that. That's what I wanted to do, and I'm glad I did that. At that stage, we didn't know Damien was going to die. Until three weeks before he died, we thought everything was, we were sticking to the plan. Because you think when you do what they ask you to do, when you follow the plan, you think you're going to get the result you get. And you're going to go, right, everything's going to be okay. And it wasn't. And in what circumstances then did you realise, as you say, three weeks before that... So um, he started to get really unwell and he was to have a procedure called um, pleurodesis to remove um, fluid from his lungs and he was admitted to St Vincent's um, that would have been early September and look, they cancelled the surgery because of a, an emergency came in um, but during that time they told us look, we're going to refer you to the palliative care team and we were absolutely horrified and devastated. What do you mean? This doesn't happen to people like us. We stuck to the plan. We did what we were supposed to do. We did everything he asked us to do. We were so angry. But Damien wasn't angry. I was bloody angry. I was so cross. I said, what do you mean? No, no, I want to speak to someone else. So the acceptance wasn't there. But Damien, he just said, right, okay. So what do we do now? And they said, look, we're going to just give you a new treatment plan but it's a palliative treatment plan. We're going to make you comfortable. And he said, so how long have I got? And they said, we can't tell at the moment. And he said, okay. So he said, would I be able to go on holidays with my children? And they said, well, at the moment, no, but maybe once we have the palliative care team here and we'll discuss that. And he said, that's fine, because I'd like that. And then they looked at him and they kind of got to know, know him over those few months and said, if we said no, you'd go anyway, wouldn't you? And he went, yeah, I would. <laughs> so even then he was still, you know, 
he said he never feared death. Did he get to go on the holiday? No, unfortunately, no. That's, he died three weeks later. But I think he was very practical. We had every conversation, Joe, and I think if anyone can take something from this morning, please tell people what your wishes are. Talk about death. Do not avoid it. It's very important that people know what you want, but more importantly, what you don't want. So he had told me, I want only you and the two children in the room when I die. He told me what church he wanted to go to. He told me he wanted to be cremated. He chose the music. And our children had an input into the music as well. Did the palliative care team help to reduce his suffering as much as they could? Um, think not really, to be honest. It kind of things took uh, a bit of a sinister turn really quickly. So we, Damien was left home, thankfully, on the Friday. And all he wanted to do was go home. So I said, lads, he just wants to go home for the weekend. If you're not going to do anything over the weekend, do you think he's well enough to go home? And they said, do you know what? Yeah. So he was to come back. I was to bring him back up on the Monday and he was to have a procedure on the Wednesday and then palliative care team was going to take over. So brought him home on the Friday and he was absolutely thrilled to be home. He was delighted. He spent a lot of time sleeping, but the the kids got to see him because they hadn't seen him in a week at that stage. So that was a Friday, spent all day, Saturday and Sunday with them. Sunday night, he had a very restless night and I kind of knew, I said, Jesus, I can't wait to get him back to Dublin. I'm really, you know, this isn't okay. I'm not sure if he was in pain and, you know. So Monday morning, I tried to get him out of bed. I couldn't get him out of bed. And I kept saying, please, Damien, are you able to sit? He said, Sarah, I can't. Will you let me go to sleep for another little while? I said, I will, but I'm going to have to probably ring someone because we have to go back to Dublin. And then the penny dropped. He said, OK. And he just closed his eyes. And I rang the community intervention team in Doradoyle and lovely nurses out there who always helped Damien through his chemo. And they said, Sarah, you need to ring an ambulance. If he's not able to get out of bed, it's not a great sign. So I rang an ambulance. The ambulance came and... Uh, they said, right, we need to bring him to the hospital. So we brought him to the hospital. At that stage, uh, it was probably the last time he spoke to me. So he kind of drifted then. After that. Yeah. So, yeah. unfortunately, Damien had to spend 24 hours on a trolley. Which, you know, we all have, we all have to deal with stuff like that. People are on trolleys at the moment not good it's not okay and we all have an experience of that that we shouldn't have and for me that that happened at the worst time but the staff out there really helped and they made us as comfortable as we could that was a Monday night Tuesday morning we were brought back to St Vincent's by ambulance but, but I mean Sarah how is that possible I know I know how is that possible that that happened I know they didn't realise, I don't think, what, because his treatment and his treatment plan was in Dublin, the communication wouldn't have been brilliant, but the care was fantastic. So, um, brought back to Dublin on the Tuesday um, by ambulance and then uh, when I got there, they assessed him and they said, we're really sorry, you need to get people up here. I said, hang on a minute, you told me get him back here and you could help him. What's going on here? And they said, look, we'll monitor him overnight that was Tuesday night. I sat with him the whole night. He didn't stir, but they did assure me that he wasn't in pain. 
So then they asked me on the Wednesday morning just to bring family up. And I said, I'm not bringing family to Dublin. I said, I need you to get me back to Limerick so my children and my family and Damien's family can be with him. I said, how much time have we left? And they said, well, he could die on the way down in the ambulance. I said, that's a risk I'm willing to take. Do it. Get me an ambulance and get me to Milford. And they did. And once we got to Milford, things were different. They were so good to us. They looked after my children. They looked after our families. And Damien was allowed to rest and with dignity. Because I think dignity is very important through an illness and it's very important when you're dying. And, you know, I, I everyone is different, but I genuinely believe that if you have a conversation before you get to that point, you can understand what someone wants. Because the last thing you want is for people to be coming in and out when you're not able to talk to them and you're using valuable energy to do that. But you just want to use that energy on people who were the closest to you. Sarah, did he finally pass with dignity? Yes, he did. So we were in Milford on a Tuesday, or sorry, on a Wednesday, and he died on the early hours of the Saturday morning. So Friday night, Saturday morning, he died. So after that, and, and after he finally had some dignity as he passed away, what are your feelings? I mean, there's the practicalities of it, there's the kids, there's the funeral, yeah. and then there is the reality the hard reality that hits yeah. anyone in your situation, I've got to find a way to keep going. Yeah. I didn't want to keep going. And I thought, I can't. And I even thought, I'm done. But that's thankfully not what happened. So after the funeral and even during the funeral, you're on autopilot. And I decided, I spoke to the priest and I said, um, he said, have you chosen someone to do the eulogy? And I said, um... I haven't, uh, I'm not sure. And you're in this mode, you're kind of still in shock. You're still not exactly in tune with what's going on. So I said, I think I might do it myself. And he said, I'm glad you said that. Okay. Uh, I said, should I write it out? Oh yeah, write it out. And if you can't do it, hand it to someone else. But have someone in your head that may be able to deliver it. So I, I did that and I did the eulogy and people came up to me afterwards and said, wow, you did that. And at the time I didn't realise um, how valuable that was. So again, I'd like to impart that piece of advice to people. If you are able to do it, even if there's a flicker of light inside you that you think you might be able to do the eulogy for whoever it is, please do it because it gives me great comfort now to know that I did my best and I tried really hard. But you are in a bubble and that um, adrenaline will get you through. And I remember being in the funeral home and I have no concept of time and I can barely remember some of that. But a friend of mine said something really valuable that helped me and Damien while Damien was still with us when we heard he was palliative. And then I told my children when they were putting the lid on the coffin. It's about energy. So we're made of energy and energy can't be created or destroyed. And for me, I got great comfort from that. So anyone that can impart anything that will help you along your way is very valuable. Other people said to me, afterwards oh you're going to hit the wall you're going to you're going to be really on the floor and I was kind of going yeah 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 and it comes and my god are you on the floor and I was on the floor for a long time so I wore black for eight and a half months I wanted to wear black for a year that was my way and that's what I wanted and I wasn't making any apology I stopped wearing black at eight and a half months because it was having an effect on my children and people started to pass comment and that's okay that's fine. At this stage, I was in the middle of an election campaign, which was a little bit bonkers as well. So 
So six months after Damien died, I was approached to run in the local elections. And I thought, oh, I don't know about this. This is very strange. And Emily, our daughter, who's now 19, she said, I don't know, do you want it? Dad always wanted it for you. Did he? Yeah. He's, he used to call me a little politician. Oh, yeah, here she is, the little politician. Uh-oh, we're all in trouble. So at, after that then, um, Emily was constantly, you should, you'd give it a try, give it a try. And um, I asked Tiernan then, Tiernan is 14, and Tiernan, you know, he's a 14-year-old boy, and it's very difficult for Tiernan. And I said, what do you think, Tiernan? Do you think I should run? And he said, well, I can hear all the calls coming in. So someone wants you to do it. And I know Dad would want you to do it. But he said, what is he going to do? So he was very wise, really. And I said, I'm not sure. What do you mean? He said, well, you can't sit in the couch and cry for another while, can you? He said, get off the couch. Stop crying. But politics, and you know this very well, is a rough game. It's a very rough game. But Joe, what's the worst that can happen? The worst happened to me. I was at rock bottom. And you learn really quickly that you need to be resilient. So I needed to show resilience for my kids. Are you saying then that for you, it helped with your grieving? I am so grateful to the people who helped me get elected and the people who voted for me. It's given me a new lease of life. I don't think I'd be here. Did you I go that far? It. Yeah. It, it means so much to me. And I, the minute I decided to run for election with the help of my friends and family. I kind of went, you know what? If I'm elected, I'd be over the moon. But I still can't find joy in everyday stuff. But helping people in the political sense, hoping, hoping that it won't wear me down because people have said it will wear me down. But what's the worst that can happen if I can do some bit of good for someone and it helps me along the way as well? So be it. In general, what would you say to people facing Christmas um, and maybe still in the midst of the first year of their grief, um, about that first year and about moving beyond it? The first year is... Um, I hate I hate cliches, Joe. I hate, the first year is the hardest. No, every day is the hardest. Christmas is the hard, hardest. No, it's not. It's the every day that's the hardest, not the big days. Every day when you wake up and you look at that empty pillow next to you. And it, can ha- it will happen to all of us. So the sooner we realise that we need to have these conversations, every one of us is going to grieve. Every one of us is going to die. We're going to die once. We better live our life well and die well. But we're going to grieve many times in our life. So if we can kind of develop a toolbox and develop a conversation as to how to help children, and I know Sister Helen and the Children's Grief Project are doing fantastic work. Counselling works. It has worked for me. You need to find the right person, but also support, peer support. I um, I went to Milford um, for a peer support group and met a lovely bunch. And we're now called Side by Side, just a small little group that we support each other. And they're widows and widowers. There are a lot of us out there. there everyone, you know, has their own story and we're all going to lose someone. So we really need to support each other. And people have avoided me. But that's okay. That's okay. If they can't face it, that's okay. What does someone say to a 39-year-old widow? I was widowed at 39. They're younger than me and they're older than me. We're all in the same boat. We're going to go through the same things. Finally, what would Damien want for you and for the kids? We had a conversation around this and he said, uh, I just want you to be okay. I don't want to leave you. 
we all have to die. And at the end of the day, I just want to know that you're okay. And I, I, no one, he, he was very strong and no one wants to be forgotten. So I would encourage people to please talk about, like if someone meets me, tell me, tell me what you remember about Damien. If someone meets someone who has lost someone, remind them that you remember them. Please remember them. Say their name. Always remind someone that you're not forgetting about them. We're upset anyway about losing. I'm very upset about losing Damien. He was my life. I was his life and our children were our lives as well. But at the end of the day, people avoiding the conversation isn't helping me and it isn't helping them. It's just making things awkward and you lose friendships over it. Okay, Councillor Sarah Kiley, um, today, and you have done a lot in your political career, you'll do a lot more. Today was an act of public service. Absolutely. And I think it will really help lots and lots of people um, listening this morning. Uh, thank you so much for coming in and talking to Joe, us. Joe, can I just say, if anyone would like help or support or even a cup of tea, give me a shout. And we thank you, Damien. Thanks. Call Limerick today now on 461995.